As the Mede soldiers reached the first of the Edesians, the Edesians threw themselves onto their knees, leaving their backs unprotected as they cut the legs out from under the men at the front edge of the phalanx. More Edesians, running up, threw themselves at the shields, pushing the Medes backward as their supporters pressed them forward. The first rush died, spitted on the swords of the Medes, but the orderly formation compressed and then collapsed. Swinging their swords, the remaining Edesians drove into the chaos that had been a fighting unit. The Medes struggled to reform, but they were overwhelmed. For a moment, Atolia thought she saw Eugenides, but in the darkness, she couldn't be sure. Whoa, they're gonna win! Oh, wait, wait, oh no, never mind. Yikes. Making sure her crush doesn't get crushed. You're listening to the Atolian Archives, the Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. It's June 30th, 2019. You might have noticed that a couple dozen people died in our intro today. That's the tone we're going for from now on. Full on welcome to the Thunderdome. It's hard to avoid. Today's chapter involves open melee, crossbows to the neck, slaps to the face, references to slow, painful death, and wet socks. It's the wet socks that make it hard for me to sleep at night. This is chapter 16 of The Queen of Atolia, wherein the tables turn... And our hero somehow ends up in a worse situation than the one in which he started. Which is an accomplishment. I forgot how much I loved the back end of this book. Yeah. It's so dramatic. And I have whiplash. I have emotional whiplash from the last chapter to this chapter. We thought that we knew where we were going and then it just flipped. Yeah. And it starts with just the two of them and then rapidly widens into (laughs) a whole cast of characters. But there's that scene at the beginning where they're, they're still climbing the stairs for a really long time. Yeah. Those are big stairs. Half the night. I'm trying to picture how tall <laughs> this cliff is. And are they, are, they, are they that long because they're not steep? Or are they s- very steep and extremely far? Good question. And she, uh, Atolia tries to go up very fast. <laughs> and then she realizes, she realizes that she's started too fast, but she's too... Stubborn, she doesn't want to lose face by slowing down, so she just continues to go really fast. <laughs> Which leads us to the priceless line, I thought you might like the earrings because he's just trying to get her to slow down. <laughs> he has no idea what to say. <sighs> they have a, there's such a great exchange in that scene mm. of genuine awkwardness. We get a lot of the post- dramatic moment or the fallout from dramatic moments in these books and i really appreciate that yeah like you have the big revelation on the boat but then they have to climb these stairs for hours (laughs) (laughs) they have to fill that time and then of course in a larger sense then we instead of just marriage the end we then see how their dynamic develops from that point on Mm mm-hmm It's so Jen that in the middle of all this, when she's livid, he, like, mocks her (laughs) with the goat sound. And she's she's coming down the stairs and he's backing up (laughs) so she doesn't get closer. And he says, the more stairs you go down, the more stairs we're going to have to climb up again. But it's a false confidence. Mm. Yeah. Why do you think he chose to make a joke at that time? Just because... Was he was he going for an effect, or was is that just he can't help himself, and that's just 
who he is as a person. I think he he can't help himself. Yeah, I mean, I think it I says unable to resist temptation. Yeah, he has to make the goat <laughs> sound. It's just too good, and he's used to making animal sounds at Ornon too. So yeah, <laughs> and he it's still it's just the two of them, and anything could happen. Like there, he doesn't know how she'll react to him, and so I think he continues to try things. Yeah, to then find that, as is maybe predictable, she's still just livid. And she's not gonna. Yeah, she nothing has... good is coming out of this right now. <laughs> she has two settings, and they're statue and rage. <laughs> it's just an on-off switch. I had a question from early on in this chapter. This is something that's been bothering me for multiple rereads ever since I noticed it because I can't figure it out. When they get to the top of the cliff, people are waiting there. Edith's ministers mm-hmm. and Chamberlain, who does the official introductions and um it says only once did the chamberlain falter looking over his shoulder he said he wouldn't be here one of the ministers said in a carrying whisper and the chamberlain went on with the formal greetings of the queen of edis and absentia so who is that talking about because first of all i thought automatically it must be the minister of war because he's not introduced but i don't think that's it actually because Right after this, they ride the whole day. No one new joins them. And then they get to an empty camp. Mm-hmm. And in that camp, there's just one messenger left behind to say that Xenophon encountered no problems getting out of Ephrata. And that's it. And then the Minister of War helps Atolia down from her horse. So either the Chamberlain was talking about the Minister of War and the Minister of War was the messenger talking about Ephrata, or Wait, what- he was with them. What? He was with them. He was with them at the start. How do we know that? Oh, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I can find it. Oh, no. Well, okay. She doesn't see him until she gets to the camp. But she refers to him as one of the soldiers. Right. Okay. Yeah, so... And so he has to have been with them. Right. Okay, so that makes sense. That question answered. But, so, who is the Chamberlain referring to when he says... uh, When uh, the other minister says to the Chamberlain... He said he wouldn't be here. I still think it's the Minister of War because uh, the Minister of War is essentially in disguise. Right. He has no markings on his uniform. He is there just as a soldier. Mm-hmm. And I think that he had been maybe advised not to come because this is his son. Right. But he couldn't stop himself and he wants to be there to protect Jen. Wait a minute. No. Okay. So then, but wouldn't the, <laughs> wouldn't the Chamberlain know wouldn't the Chamberlain know? So the minister says he said he wouldn't be here, be there to the Chamberlain who was looking for someone. Edis's own Chamberlain brought along to perform the obligatory introductions, which he did without a whiskers deviation from his usual palace style. Only once did he falter, looking over his shoulder. He said he wouldn't be here, one of the ministers said in a carrying whisper. It's possible he looked over his shoulder to react to the person talking to him. Mm. And it's just slightly unclear with the order of the events on the page. Could be. Because it's but not its not that there's somebody who should be there who's absent. It's that there's somebody who's there who shouldn't be. And who? There's nobody. It could be except the Minister of War. So you just said there's someone who's there who shouldn't be? Yeah, the Minister of War. He said he wouldn't be here. He said he wasn't going to come. But he did. Oh... That would make sense. Yeah. I thought he was looking for someone who isn't there, and the person 
was saying he said he wouldn't be here and that's why he's oh, not here. Oh, that's why here. he's not here. Oh, that's why oh, that's I completely was different than what I thought. You thought he was saying he said he wouldn't be here, but he is. But he is. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was looking for someone. He was looking for the minister of war. If he's looking for someone and there's somebody who he thought was going to be there and isn't there, I have no idea who it is. Right. <laughs> See? Literally. What's up? Oh, no. Oh, that's an ambiguity. Yeah. Who is this, Megan? Yeah. And it's never addressed. I feel like the only, the only version of those two things for which I have an explanation is that the minister of war said he wouldn't be there and is there. Yeah. It's much more mysterious if it's someone who they expect to see who's absent. Right. Uh-oh. Man. <laughs> I don't know. And we're never going to get an answer. We're never going to get an answer. Uh, crowdsourcing this one. Yeah, listen. Please tell us, tell us how you interpreted that Which line. Which one is it? Ah, it would be so... If we could hear the emphasis, you know, he said he wouldn't be here, would be the interpretation that you had thought. And he said he wouldn't be here would be the interpretation that I had thought. But you can't see that on the page. Let's find the audiobook. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get the audiobook this weekend. But see who, what says, it is. who says that that, that interpretation what was what Megan, Megan intended? Meant, yeah, it's not like Megan told the, the reader of the audiobook how to pronounce it, probably. <laughs> probably. Oof. Oof. So they climb the stairs. They have this conversation or she listens to the Chamberlain drone for a while. And then they get to this camp. And Atolia wants to go talk to Eugenides. And she shows up unannounced at his tent and sees him removing the hook. And it's a moment of vulnerability that he did not intend for her to see. Mm -hmm. And she remembers the thought that she had in the previous chapter about how he was too young to have bones that ached and now she sees him in physical pain that she caused that she caused <laughs> and that's a very interesting moment to me because the loss of his hand represents so many things and on one level it's just Megan Whalen Turner's conviction that you don't have to be able-bodied to be the hero of an adventure story and on a hand I did it <laughs> and in another sense, it is a physical representation of trauma that has changed him. And in another way, it's this, like, it's a it's a pain that they now share. Mm. It's something that connects them. Yeah. And she sees that for a moment, the honesty of him in that moment yeah that's something he can't lie about yeah and she i mean she spends a lot of this chapter looking for him mm -hmm. in various contexts she's she's looking for him in the battle she's trying to catch a glimpse of him but i think she's also looking for him in, in an emotional sense yeah she she wants to see what the truth is mm -hmm. and he keeps fading back into the darkness yeah it's so good. <laughs> and then later, she's asleep and she hears shouting and she wakes up and Eugenides comes in. And when he reached her side, he did not raise the sword as she had expected. He bent down and kissed her briefly on the lips. And that's where I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> and she flinches away. But because she's surprised more yeah. than anything. And then she's livid. Yep. 
Oh, and so, it's so dramatic. He comes mm, in and he has his sword out. She thinks he's literally about to run her through. Mm-hmm. This is very yikes. <laughs> and this moment, I mean, he says, uh, what luck you have, I think. Yeah. In regards to the fact that the Meads have come yeah. to rescue her. I mean, it's a dubious rescue. But he he's not angry. I think he's he's beyond all anger with her. Yeah. He I think he's very clearly uh in his mind substituted Nuhuzrish as the person who he feels is responsible for the loss of the hand and he can be angry about it at Nuhuzrish. Yeah. Yeah, all his hate is directed at Nuhuzrish. Yeah. I hadn't really thought of that. Doesn't he tell Edis earlier in this book like they're talking about mm-hmm. the mead and Atolia, and he's angry about the mead, and she says, Jen, it was Atolia who cut off her hand, right? And he was like, yeah, but she would have just killed me if the mead hadn't intervened. So he he's focusing on the mead so that he doesn't have to be angry with Atolia, yeah, I think, he to feels, simplify his own emotions. Like, the anger that he feels at Nehusaresh is white hot. It's yeah. very aggressive. And also, I mean, Nehusaresh, he's in this position where he, he may have power over her in some way, and he doesn't respect her. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't want to help her. And he's trying to take over the entire peninsula, which is also... He's trying to take over obviously the entire quite peninsula. An issue. And he doesn't... He does not have its best interest at heart. No. And so it's it's this weird combination of, of Jen redirects anger that he might feel at her to him and also wants to protect mm-hmm. her from him. And also it's political. Yes. <laughs> There's always it's those... All- they're all going on at once. Yeah, it's all the things at once. All those all emotions in his tiny body. With no breaks. <laughs> and he comes in and kisses her because he thinks he's about to die, and mm-hmm. he doesn't want to die without having done that. And Atolia sees Jen and his father fighting together, and I think it's really cool how Jen's father is even more anonymous than usual in this chapter. Mm-hmm. He's disguised as a common soldier, not even the title Minister of War has ever spoken. Atolia does not know who he is but notices that he and Jen fight very well in tandem Mm -hmm. and are very in sync. And I think that's great because from Jen's perspective, he and his father have all these problems connecting. But from an outside perspective, they have this uh, kind of natural rapport physically. I also, I assumed it was, I mean, yes, but also for fighting style specifically, I assumed it was a taught rapport too because the minister of war has taught Jen how to do that how to fight and sink probably mm-hmm. and they're 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 doing the thing together that jen's father always wanted them to do Oof. yeah although not in the context well not that like he... this but <laughs> not like this I wanted you but to be yes. in battle with me but and the the there's a lot about the edesian fighting style in here the the medes come in and they have that very roman empire mm-hmm. big rectangular formations with shields and the Adesians do this thing where they have like layers of attacks and the first rush of people essentially sacrifice themselves yeah which is it, it feels very a very Adesian attitude <laughs> and the person who finally gives the order to surrender is jen yeah the soldiers are following his orders mm-hmm. you can't see right now but noelle's eyes just went super wide <laughs> We get a lot of tiny hints in this chapter about what Atoli is really thinking and feeling that you can only really recognize until you've read the rest of it and then you go back and all these things have a different significance again. Mm-hmm. So not just seeking out Eugenides through the battle, but also when Nehuzeresh gets there, 
He says, I have landed my army at Rhea, etc., etc. I can only hope that Her Majesty will forgive me for bringing my men uninvited through her territory. Atolia squeezed his hands. What alternative do I have? She said lightly. So, we think from an outsider's perspective who doesn't know what her attachments are to the Mede, that she's just joking, but, mm -hmm. you know. She's gonna heck him up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then later, so also I said a minute ago that you get hints to her emotions, but I guess I more meant motivations mm -hmm. also, because um, later when she's making sure Eugenides isn't hurt, she, like, he insults her. And starts talking about, I hope you believe Nehuzerish when Nehuzerish says he loves you. And then she hits him. And it says, she hoped the fall would shut him up, but considered kicking him to be sure. She had no desire to hear him protest his undying love. So the first read, when you don't know how it's going to end up, you can think like, oh, well, she doesn't want to hear it because, you know, that's just repulsive to her and she's done with it, whatever. But then later you realize, like, she's trying to shut him up because she doesn't want Nehuzerish to hear about that. Yeah. Because it's all part of the plan. It's that, like, she has an agenda, and Jen has an agenda, and, I mean, there's that juxtaposition of this very romantic motivation with a very pragmatic motivation. Mm -hmm. And, like, this book is a... It's a story of those things happening to work in tandem. And, and why and what that tells us, I don't know. I mean, it might be just that all of these things are ordained by the gods, right? Yeah, partially. I'm going to have to think about that for another yeah. ten years. <laughs> we'll never be done. But it's a, it's a, like a, Jen and Atolia both have an agenda and they're possibly at odds, but they, it, like, exist together and have this give and take. Yeah. And I think as soon as the Mees came over the ridge and Atolia realized they were Medes and not her own soldiers, she fell in line with Jen's plan. Yeah. And knew that the only way she's going to get the Medes out is to agree with him. Mm -hmm. And that's so unromantic! Yeah. And yet! <laughs> <laughs> because both of them still think that romance is never, never going to be a factor. He thinks she hates him. And there's a whole paragraph about that in here. Um, like, worse than knowing that he was going to die was knowing that she was going to kill him because she hated him. In so a horrible, then, horrible way. Yeah, so that's what he's still thinking. And she obviously still doesn't believe him because he's a liar. <laughs> <sighs> There's that great line. Better to trust in the moon's promises than the word of the thief of Edis. He was famous in three countries for his lies. Jen is really, I mean, he's, he's very broken in this scene. She speaks to him and he can't look at her. He's looking at the ground, mm -hmm. which is, it's difficult to imagine in the sense that it's hard to look at, even in your mind's eye, when he had been so proud just pages before. And now she knows that there's, that while there's life, there's hope, um, because her agenda has shifted, but he doesn't know that. And so which of them really understands the situation. In chapter 15, he understood these are the steps of the drama that we're going to play out here. Mm -hmm. And she had she was not on the same page. And that's when he said, as they got into the boat, where there's life, there's hope, your majesty, asking it as a question. Mm -hmm. And now she says it back to him. 
yeah now it, it flips and now yeah. he has no clue right as it gets to the point where you would like be with her and know what she's up to the point of view shifts mm-hmm. to him yeah and his despair and he's in agony but in a sexy way <laughs> That's chapter 16. Next episode, the gods go a-meddling, Jen's friends and family try their best to kill him, and Atolia's motivations get muddy. Send us your comments, questions, thoughts. Tell us the answer of who the Chamberlain was looking for, please. Please. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an amateur embroidery production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available.